Welcome to a Watchdog podcast. Excerpts and interviews from the Watchdog Morning Show on WKKX and WVLY. Here's Howard Monroe. But I want to take some time to talk about a couple of uh, national stories uh, first, and to help me do that is one of our newer uh, political analysts here on the Watchdog Morning Show, a former campaign staffer and congressional staffer, a talk show host, a podcaster, Matt Robeson. Matt, good morning. Welcome to the show. Howard, great to hear you again. Good to have you here with us. I've been listening to many of your podcasts, which I'll tell our listeners about coming up in a minute or two. Um, One that I listened to yesterday that I don't want to get into today because i got some other stuff. Maybe next week we'll talk about it because it was really insightful. You did a really neat podcast on how did we get where we are to be so polarized? Uh, How did we, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight, and it wasn't just because of Fox News or something. There was... There actually was a game plan to it, right? That's right. It was, and it may have been sort of a law of unintended consequences type thing. I'm not sure that when the whole plan was launched almost 50 years ago that anyone could have foreseen where it would land. But you're right. There is a whole hidden history, and it goes back to a decision, like I said, almost 50 years ago to create a whole different way of viewing reality. It's really, it's, it's that fundamental and that profound, a different set of, of facts, of, of ways of thinking about everything we do in our country. So um, I'm happy to just leave it there. If you want to talk about it next time, um, I can tease it. But if people want to check it out, it's in the Beyond Politics podcast. You can find that wherever you listen. Um, I do an interview with a, a political scientist who's laid out this whole history writing a whole book about it. His name is E.J. Fagan, uh, and it's this whole hidden history of how we kind of bent reality and ended up living in two different political worlds. And, and I, yeah, I think we'll just tease it there because I want to take some time to talk about that. It, it may have been unintended consequences, but there also was there, there was a long-term game plan that began with conservatives and then liberals began to pick up their own version later. But there was a long-term game plan that began with creating think tanks and then began with trying to get a little more attention in the media. I mean, again, it was, it was, it was well thought out. I mean, somebody somewhere said, we can't win tomorrow, but can we win next decade? Um, That's right. They, they didn't know if they were going to be so spectacularly successful. But, you, no, you're right. You're right. Where we ended up was definitely like the dream scenario for the folks who, who dreamed this up. Yeah. Well, again, we'll just tease it at this moment because I want to spend some more time with that next week. But I actually wanted to talk about two two stories today, somewhat connected. Uh, one of them is um, it goes to it, it begins with this Georgia voting law thing and, and Major League Baseball and Coca Cola and so on. But uh, Mitch McConnell's comments yesterday that businesses should stay out of politics struck me as the absolute height of hypocrisy from a man who's taken in, I think, $4 million in corporate campaign cash over the last election cycle. Uh, businesses should stay out of politics, except when they're given to me. I mean, that's kind of is, – is, did I read that wrong? It's, it's a little weird. Both parties have, to some extent, ended up talking out of both sides of their mouth. But – Mitch McConnell is probably doing it the most. What he said is that 
from election law to environmentalism, these are his words, not mine, to radical social agendas, to the Second Amendment, parts of the private sector keep dabbling in behavior like a woke, parallel government. And he's criticizing the decision by Major League Baseball to pull the All-Star game out of Georgia, the decision by Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola. We coined a new phrase on my radio show yesterday. Uh, The host inadvertently called it Woka-Cola. So now (laughs) what he's basically accusing corporate America of doing is drinking Woka-Cola. And, you know, what's you, now, Look, please, please tell your, please tell your partner. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. By the way, <laughs> you, you should steal it. You should absolutely steal it. It's, it's, it's free. It's, it's free to all. But you know, look, I, I, it is strange because for a long time, this is one of the gathering trends in American politics. You're seeing, I wouldn't call it a divorce by any means, but maybe a trial separation between the Republican Party and the large business corporate base, as well as some of the small business corporate base, that, you know, they've been wedded together for a long time. You saw it in the aftermath of the insurrection, when many large companies decided to withhold campaign contributions from Republicans who voted after the insurrection to overturn the results of the election. The funny thing about it is that Voters consistently say, and consumers are voters, voters are consumers, that they want companies in America to take positions. Last summer, in the wake of all the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, all of the social unrest going on over the summer, in the midst of that, 60% of Americans said in surveys that they want to buy products from companies that, that take positions. And when Harvard Business Review looked at this. They found the companies that take explicitly conservative values suffer a loss of about 25% in the likelihood that consumers are going to want to buy their products. So there's nothing unusual in a capitalist country, capitalist economy, with consumers voting with their dollars and voting with their feet and companies being really attuned to that. So I would just advise Mitch McConnell, you know, I, I understand what he's saying, but maybe he should actually listen to what voters are saying and reflecting through the positions of companies. Yeah, companies, as a general rule, this is a, you know, sort of a, a broad statement, but they look to see where people are at and how their customers will react. They're not judging things, whereas politicians anymore – judge everything from the left or the right is it a conservative issue is it a liberal issue and the democrats want it or the republicans want it and that's the way politicians tend to view everything businesses tend to wonder how's it playing out in the world how are the people feeling about it and they probably have a better sense of it well because people either buy their products or don't buy their products and and uh you know i i got a point mcconnell made a point yesterday he said well what i mean is I think he said something. Like, what I mean is that Republicans drink Coca-Cola too, and 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 it, it's it's a good point. I've often said I don't know if I'm a businessman, especially a small small businessman, by the way. I, I don't know how much of my politics I want to put up front in my business, but I think when an issue becomes overwhelmingly supported by large numbers of the people, at least of the people who are your constituents, and by that I mean corporate constituents, customers, um, it only makes sense to to listen to him. So uh, 
But I just I just found McConnell to be awfully hypocritical. A man who takes millions of dollars of corporate dollars for his political campaigns, saying that to stay out of politics. It's just the typical. I don't like it when you. I like it when you're on my side. I don't like it when you're on on the other side. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's going to be, um, you know, Joe Biden had hoped has talked about being. Uh, trying to want to work in a nonpartisan way or a bipartisan way, I guess I should say, and try to get the Republicans to come along with many of his ideas. And he's tried to be, say he's not going to be so strident as Trump was and so on. Um, but we are in a very polarized society, as you as you point out, especially in the Senate, literally 50-50. And it's going to make getting a lot of legislation hard to pass because... Everybody has their feet dug in, as simple as that. 50 Republicans say, I'm not going to do this because Biden wants it. 50 Democrats generally will say, I'll do this because Biden wants it. Um, it's, it's, it's really tough. Democrats got a bit of a break this week, though, when the parliamentarian in the Senate seems to have suggested that they can use this so-called reconciliation concept again. Uh, they used it with the, uh, the COVID money uh, recently that they could use the concept of rec- budget reconciliation uh, for other matters as well, which means they don't have to hit that 60-vote filibuster threshold. That's right. And this is something that has West Virginia roots uh, all over it. It's uh, sort of an invention of Robert Byrd, the longtime West Virginia senator. And if you want a whole, I won't get into the details. They are, they're, they're a little bit wonky, but I have a whole show about this. If you want to check out the Great Ideas podcast, we do a whole show with a budget expert, actually a Republican, who just gives a great walkthrough of here's what it is, here's how it works, and here's how to here's how to fix it. <laughs> and you know, her prescription is reconciliation. Is this it, it, in a nutshell? Is just this complicated way of saying you don't have to use the regular Senate rules, which leave legislation vulnerable to the filibuster, meaning you normally have to have 60 votes to pass anything, but you can pass things with a simple majority if you use reconciliation. Now, this has a number of really positive effects for Democrats. Before this ruling by this official, the parliamentarian, the biggest game in Washington last week was what I call the train pileup game. There were there, there was a signal from the White House that all of their priorities, they were going to break into two bills. So there were two tickets to trains leaving the station. And one train seemed like it had a good chance of getting to the destination. The other one might not ever leave the train yard. And so every lobbyist in Washington, D.C., every interest group, everyone with an axe to grind or an issue to get accomplished – which train did they want to be on? They all wanted to be on train number one. And so that created a pileup. And you see a little bit of it in the big, it's, it's labeled the infrastructure bill. I think that's a mistake. But you see that in the big infrastructure bill is that there's an awful lot in there. So what does this ruling from the parliamentarian do? It means Democrats can use reconciliation to get around the filibuster more than once. They could they could use it several times before the 2022 elections. That means more trains leaving the station. They can rearrange what goes where. It makes everything easier. And the final thing I'll say on that, 
Um, although I could get into the other the other big principle involved, which I call the Mary Poppins principle. I could get into that in a second. But the other thing I'll say just for West Virginia listeners is I think Senator Joe Manchin has got to be smiling today because this removes some of the pressure on him about the filibuster. It means Democrats can get more done. They don't have to blow up the filibuster as they work their way down their wish list. They can't do everything. You have to have legislation that is tied to the budget in order to get it through using reconciliation. So they can't do everything. They can't do the $15 minimum wage. They can't do the voting laws. But they can do an awful lot. That puts him in a, in a far better position. It also, though, really spotlights him. If now, if some of these things are going to go through a budget reconciliation, for example, the, uh, the infrastructure bill, it still requires the 50 Democrats all to hold together, and Manchin has already indicated there's parts of that bill, notably the pay-for part of the bill, that he's not totally happy with. He's not happy with the, the amount of increase in the corporate tax rate. So they're still going to have to do negotiating with Senator Manchin to either make him happy or bring somebody else on board because he's not supportive at the moment. Uh, even at the 50-vote level, he, he's not their 50th vote just yet, as that infrastructure bill is, is currently written. Well, that's 100% right. And this does – your your point really does get to the second effect of all of this, which I call the Mary Poppins principle. If you remember Mary Poppins, remember the song, A Spoonful of Sugar Makes the Medicine just Go Down? Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You've got a second career, budding. Uh, you know, so, look, since the birth of the republic, the way you pass difficult things in Washington is you add sugar to make the medicine go down. And when you're not able to do that, the medicine frequently does not go down. If you remember when we were having the whole financial meltdown and the Bush administration was trying to pass the TARP bill, it failed. Why? Because they didn't have time to add any sugar to the medicine. Same thing with ever since Congress got rid of earmarks, which are the ultimate form of Washington sugar, it's gotten harder and harder to pass legislation. So what you have now with the infrastructure bill is, like I said, because of the train pileup, you have many, many things with a ticket on this, what they thought was going to be the one and only train that was really going to have a chance of leaving the station. Now that you can break it up, you can either add more sugar, or you can remove some of the medicine and put it in other bills. So, yes, 100% right in my mind that Joe Manchin is still in the catbird seat, no question about that. But now if you're Chuck Schumer and you're Joe Manchin, you can go behind the scenes and you can do some good old-fashioned horse trading log rolling. Here's where I need you to be with me. Here's where you know, if you want to stand up and rail against something and stop it for your politics back home, we can do that. We can work with that. Here's where we can remove some of the medicine that makes a bill awfully tough to pass. And the first thing, of course, that Senator Manchin has said is he doesn't like the pay for in this bill, which would raise the corporate tax rate from 21 percent to 28 percent. He says the maximum is 25 percent behind the scenes corporate executives have been saying in the last day or so to reporters, yeah, we want 25%. So that's now something that Schumer can work with. Yeah, when when Manchin says, when anybody says in a, in a negotiation that I don't like what you propose, but then says, but I've got a different number, now we know all we're doing is quibbling over numbers. 
Manchin right. doesn't right. like 28 percent, but he says 25 is okay. If you're Schumer uh, or if you're Biden getting involved in this at, at his level, you're going, okay, so what I need to do now is negotiate. What's the number from 25 to 28 that works for everybody? Right. Um, you're not saying no. We, not you've, saying got nego- no. you've got negotiating that can go on once you both have a number in mind. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, again, it's, it's more choices. I mean, you know, I'm more familiar with the House. That's where I work. The way it works in the House, although they have a super slim margin now, so it doesn't work quite this way these days. But, you know, you literally, when you have a vote, the majority leader or the whip, who is the vote counter for your party, will literally stand down in the well of the House, which is the part you see on TV. And they will, if you're, if you're on the fence and for your politics back home, you have to maybe vote against something that your own party wants. They'll make sure they get to the majority. They'll make sure that they've got the bill passed, and then they will release you. And so if you ever watch a vote on C-SPAN, you'll see this happen. As soon as it goes over the 218 margin, all of a sudden a whole bunch of no votes from the majority party will come in. Again, now Democrats only have a three-vote margin, so you don't see it quite as much. But you, you kind of have the same effect about to happen in the Senate where it's not going to happen live during a vote. But Senator Manchin, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, Democrats who are in the middle, on the fence, can now do a little bit more of that negotiating, that, that horse trading behind the scenes, what they'll be for, what they'll be against. They can break things up across more bills. They don't have quite as much pressure on them to get everything to happen in this one single rifle shot. But, uh, Matt, before I let you go, let's talk about, what what does reconciliation mean for the Biden administration? Joe Biden claims he wants to be this uh, bipartisan guy. He wants to get uh, Republicans to work with him to come up uh, with you know more bipartisan support for these things. If if we're going back to reconciliation for infrastructure, for example, um, it, it's it, it seems very likely it would be a fifty fifty plus Harris vote uh, for for infrastructure. Republicans are just going to dig their heels in. So what does it do for Joe Biden, who claims he wants to work with Republicans, if we end up using more and more reconciliation with no Republican votes? It's it's tough. Deep down in his DNA, there's been a lot of reporting on the fact that Joe Biden pines for the way things used to be. Mm-hmm. But he recognizes the way things are. And we've seen this movie before in the Obama administration, where in the futile search for bipartisanship on bills like the stimulus, like the health care bill, legislation was delayed, killed. There were arrows thrown at it until it sank in public opinion. So at this point, the, the approach the Biden administration has taken is we will work with you, but you've got to be pretty serious with us if you're a Republican politician. And what they're saying out loud and behind the scenes is the American people are with us. If you look, for example, at this infrastructure bill, the polling over the last week shows that between 70 percent and 80 percent of the American public supports all of the pieces of this bill. Broadband, the electric grid, roads, drinking water and the tax pay for the only thing that brings that polling down is when you say, well, this is coming from the Biden administration, then you lose the Republicans. I think the Biden administration realizes they're going to end up in that kind of partisan fight eventually anyway. 
So they'd rather get the credit for getting stuff done rather than have the fight end up nowhere and not get the stuff done. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you're probably right about that. And um, the other attack line that you're seeing Republicans use and Republican surrogates use is that you call it an infrastructure bill, which makes us think of roads and bridges, and it's really not roads and bridges, which is actually an accurate explanation. It is not just roads and bridges. It is a variety of other kinds of, air quote, infrastructure, um, including climate infrastructure, including, as you point out, the electric grid, uh, including um, uh, broadband, which is, I think, critical, uh, certainly in West Virginia and elsewhere as well. Um, I think the public is behind that, but I think the when when Republicans you know focus in on that, well, only after what the number they use is five point six percent of your bill actually is roads and bridges. It sounds like they're trying to pull a fast one on you, and I, I think that's an attack line the Republicans are using that probably gets some traction until the administration better explains what infrastructure is in their mind. That strikes me as right. It's true that if you have an inclusive definition of infrastructure that lines up with the way the World Economic Forum does it, and they say the U.S. is 13th in the world in infrastructure, that definition would say that $821 billion out of the plan's $2.25 trillion, that's about 37%, is that kind of infrastructure. Transportation, $621 billion. Electricity, $100 billion. Internet, $100 billion. In this day and age, most people would agree that Internet is part of your infrastructure, right? Yep. If you're in a yep. rural area, that is super important to the ability of your small business to compete, for the ability of you to go to work in a lot of jobs. I don't think the administration is going to have a hard sell on that point. Where it begins to get squishier is some of the other areas of spending in the bill, like $400 billion for the caretaker economy. Now, you know, you and I could have a, a, a good discussion about whether we need more investment in taking care of our elders, which we probably do. But you're right that it does it, – it just – But is that infrastructure? But yeah, is, is that infrastructure? infrastructure? But again, it goes back to your first point about – the advantage of this this sneaky, wonky little ruling from this obscure official, the parliamentarian of the Senate, that you can use reconciliation for more things because now you can break some of this out, and you know maybe you can maybe you can do what Senator Roy Blunt suggested yesterday, and you know you can take the transportation infrastructure, the traditional roads and bridges stuff, and you can put in some of the look. We all get the broadband and. And electricity is, is, should be part of this. Maybe you put in a little bit of R&D and manufacturing stuff that companies want. Maybe you do end up at a bill that can get some Republican votes. Probably not. But you can certainly get at something that, that doesn't feel, as you say, like, like you're pulling a fast one. I, I think Biden would, would be better off if he could pull a handful of Republican votes for anything. I don't even know, care what it is, infrastructure, whatever. If he can just say... I've had a couple of bills passed where some Republicans came over and voted with us. I think it would help to to cement his concept of working together. Matt, I got to run. Um, I do want to talk maybe next week about this uh, 
whole concept of infrastructure of uh, the the politics that's been put together by the conservatives at first and liberals later in terms of uh, uh, the media and think tanks and so on. I want to talk about that. Uh, that's on your uh, Beyond Politics uh, podcast. Is that right? Right. The, the two politics podcasts for people to check out are Beyond Politics and The Great Ideas Show. And if you check out that show about reconciliation that I did, I have that same expert on Great Ideas coming back. To, we're releasing it tomorrow to talk about the infrastructure bill and, and the question you just raised. Well, wh- what does infrastructure mean? How should we think about that? So, yeah, definitely check that out. Now, happy to come back and talk about it. All right, we'll do that again next week. And, again, people can check out the podcast uh, wherever they get their podcasts, Apple Podcasts or what have you, uh, Great Ideas Podcast, uh, uh, Beyond uh, Politics Podcast as well. Matt, always enjoy talking to you. We'll continue to do this on a semi-regular basis. And thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Absolutely a, pl- a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this Watchdog Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the podcast page at watchdognetwork.com.